Good morning, afternoon, and evening to whenever you're listening, and welcome to the Investing Intellect podcast, where we discuss issues affecting our global economy, money markets, and business. So the aim of this show is to, with each and every episode, leave you with a piece of knowledge and understanding about our economy, which you can then go on to utilizing in further conversations. Right, so today we will be discussing corporate debt in America uh, and the Fed's intervention in the corporate debt markets, corporate, corporate bond markets, uh, both investment grade and high yield, in other words, junk. So uh, we're going to be asking two key questions today, and that is firstly, how has the Fed been intervening in capital markets to make financing cheaper, if at all? And secondly, to what extent should the Fed be rescuing risk takers in corporate debt markets? Right. So how has the Fed been intervening in capital markets, first of all? So in short, Congress gave the Fed 750 billion US dollars in firepower in extinguishing the corporate debt market problems. So uh, this has been done through intervening in both the primary and secondary markets for corporate bonds, investment grade and fallen angel bonds. And that is, I'll explain that in a second. And even corporate bond ETFs. Why? Well, because this is essentially a way through which the Fed can secure the purchase of bonds of companies that wouldn't qualify by themselves. Anyway, so as I mentioned before, fallen angel bonds are essentially junk bonds, which held a investment grade bond pre-crisis. Right. So with all this, with all this shenanigans, whatever you want to call it, basically the Fed, same as the ECB, uh, what they can do is bypass credit rating agencies. So whatever they say, uh, whatever you know, rating is given to these companies. I mean, the market can react however they want, which is what they've done in the past upon the announcement of, for example, the ECB and the problem with Italy's credit rating. But whatever these credit rating agencies have been doing, the Fed, the ECB can just say, well, we're going to buy it anyways, right? Because it's a fallen angel, because it's this, that or the other, because it had this credit rating before the corona crash and whatever. So, so they can kind of uh, subside, uh, um, pass by really the credit ratings agencies uh, by this name of Fallen Angel. It's, ju- it's junk, right? It's junk. Anyways, uh, when talking about how the Fed has been intervening in capital markets, a bit more specifically, specifically, obviously, the uh, corporate debt markets, uh, it's going to require some uh, backstory. We're going to also compare uh, the data we've currently been seeing in the corporate debt markets, the yields, etc., to the global financial crash, because it is a interesting, it's an interesting um, reference point. Anyways, I will start off with the macro flows report for March, which I wrote mid-April or beginning of April. I was writing it and posted it mid-April. But essentially, I took, uh, I, I made two pages of analysis, or just on the two pages of analysis for the Fed, their actions, the facilities for which they're, they're doing all of this, and the, the, the corporate debt markets. So anyways, uh, retrospectively, we know that March entailed intense monetary mayhem, right? And alongside the collapse of the American labor market, individuals uh, had been spectating, uh, or at least speculating at the very least, an immense credit crunch, right? And one of the Federal Reserve's key functions is that of market ma- making, sorry. So if the banks don't want to lend, if there's some liquidity problems, if money isn't being transferred from place A to place B, then uh, the Fed has to create a market for it, right? They have to connect the lenders to the borrowers and vice versa, the buyers to the sellers of, in this case, debt. And essentially, through the purchase of banks and investors' assets, 
the Fed has been injecting liquidity into the system, right? That's what it does. It purchases assets like corporate bonds, treasuries specifically. Um, and for that, it pays money, thereby injecting liquidity into the system. In fact, it's been injecting a lot of liquidity into the system. I think over the past two months, it's injected $3.1 trillion US dollars of liquidity because their balance sheet has expanded from about $4.2 trillion off the top of my head. I think it was end of February or sometime in February until now today, the 31st of May, it is sitting at $7.1 trillion uh, US dollars. So it, it's, it's around 3, $3 trillion US dollars. That's a lot of liquidity. It's a very, very big amount of liquidity. But anyways, they inject all of this liquidity uh, into the system to enable banks and uh, commercial banks, essentially, to continue to supply credit such that credit lines in times of hardship like these, like this, sorry, they're not severed. It's very important that credit continues to flow and financing occurs because otherwise there is no way by which the economy can function. We need purchases, sales, borrowing. Our economy, the, the American economy, the Europe, I mean, the world economy right now is very reliant on debt. Debt which it essentially refinances over and over and over in, in a perpetual manner. And this isn't a bad or a good thing. The, the, I mean, okay, you've got your opinion, but that's how the system works. And so even though, let's say, a company may not be insolvent, in fact, it's got a lot of assets, it's got this, that, and the other, it may be illiquid today, <clears throat> right? So you can imagine that if this business is projected, if, if a business is projected to earn 10 million every year for the next four years, um, its its value, it's, let's say it's valued at 40 billion US dollars or whatever. Um, essentially, if it has payments of more than, you know, if it has to pay, let's say 11 billion US dollars this year, even though that is much less than 40 billion, it's still much, a bit more, uh, a bit too much uh, than the 10 billion it's going to make this year. So that is the problem of uh, liquidity or illiquidity versus insolvency, right? So in this manner, you can assume that the Fed is right in intervening in the markets because it's providing liquidity to solvent businesses. This is just a theory. But anyways, in March, uh, the Fed created a lot of groundbreaking facilities, which facilitated the purchase of assets from the market, and that is commercial banks. And so within my report, I go further into the kind of alphabet soup of facilities, but to just namely, there's some commercial paper funding facilities, primary and secondary, uh, there's a lot of them, right? I think there's five or six. Uh, now there's more. But anyways, if you'd like to check those out in more detail, you can have a look. There, some of them are being dwindled down now uh, that we have different facilities uh, through which the Fed is purchasing corporate debt directly from uh, the market, the businesses, etc., but so what happened in March and what's been happening over the past few months that has warranted these actions accordingly to the Fed? Essentially, employers well, and suppliers, businesses in general, they face a lot of uh, much less demand and very disrupted supply chains, right? So that they were losing out on revenue, revenue of which they had to in turn use to pay for labor or their uh, corporate debt, essentially debts in general. But importantly, what, what, what happened is that not only was business losing money now, uh, its expected future income also took a large hit. And so fewer creditors were willing to lend, right, to small and medium or business in general. And when fewer creditors are less willing to lend, they expect or that they essentially need a higher risk premium on their bonds um, for them to lend any money. 
So what is this risk premium? Well, the risk risk premium, sorry, is the yield. It's the yield of these corporate bonds, which firms are selling and creditors are buying. And so, for example, if we do look at the high yield index, as from the Fred website, the um, rate, the, the, the yield for high yield bonds was actually 3.6% in mid-February. And this peaked and jumped to 10%. Uh, on the 27th of March. So a bit over a month later, the rate actually went up around 2.7 times. And so even though in retrospect, in a global financial crisis, this same rate, the same yield peaked at 21%, this is still a very dramatic and a word you've been hearing much of recently, an unprecedented jump, which uh, warranted apparently unprecedented actions. That was the um, high yield index in kind of general. I've got the article here. Uh, from this week's Business Week, uh, why the Fed rescued risk takers. And here it essentially says that in the span of four and a half weeks, from the 19th of February to the 23rd of March, the gap between rates on US treasuries and corporate bonds rated double B, which is just below investment grade, it spiked to 8.6%. Uh, percentage points from 1.9%. And this is the risk risk premium. And this is exactly the kind of risk premium that I just talked about now, the 10% uh, on the high yield in the US in general at the end of March. This is specifically extra interest or extra money that these creditors and borrowers, uh, sorry, lenders of money want to receive for the higher perceived risk of making these debt transactions, right? So for example, I don't want to borrow from you at, um, uh, sorry, I don't want to lend to you for, let's say, 3.6% as we had in February, I now actually demand 10%. And this is essentially what was caused by a fire sale of corporate debt in general, because as soon as this corona problem was rolling out, there was severe impact in Europe, and actually this is more beyond just a Southeast Asian problem, um, bond traders essentially started selling everything. And when the price of corporate bonds, essentially when the price of bonds falls, their yields increase. And so the yield is essentially the cost of borrowing money for these firms selling the bonds, right? So if investors are demanding 10% yield, well then essentially on a $100 bond that the firm might be selling, they have to pay back uh, $110 you know, at maturity. And so now we come to today, today when the Fed or today uh, May, when the Fed has been releasing these uh, facilities and these special purpose vehicles. So essentially these special purpose vehicles, what, what they are is they're set up as a company. And what the Treasury does is it injects um, a certain amount of equity into the business or into the special uh, SPV, as we can call it. And then the Fed provides leverage to the business. According to a few articles that I've read, uh, leverage uh, 10 to 1, meaning that for every $1 of equity, essentially, you're going to get $10 of uh, leverage or loan in general uh, from the Fed. And these special purpose vehicles, which are managed by uh, investment banks, the, the one that we're talking about now, the corporate, the, sorry, the yeah, corporate credit facility, CCF, is managed by State Street. It's the custodian of this uh, facility. And essentially what State, uh, State Street does, sorry, on behalf of, I guess you could say, the Treasury and the Fed, essentially they're purchasing corporate debt from the markets. And uh, this corporate credit facility is relatively, relatively brand new as there was a lot of legislatory problems. There was a lot of talk about this. 
But now on the 13th of May, or week ending uh, 13th of May, which was a Wednesday, the Fed uh, started purchasing or giving out loans to uh, this credit facility. And it started off with a mega, it, it started off with 305 million US dollars in, uh, in, in corporate debt, essentially, uh, financing, you can call it. I mean, they're, they're giving out loans to the special, uh, special purpose vehicles on, you know, such that the Treasury can do whatever they want or State Street. Uh, but essentially, that the, they are outright purchasing and financing the purchase of corporate bonds. A week later, this reached 1.8 billion US dollars. And a week after that, which is the 27th of May, just a few days ago, this reached 35 billion US dollars. So we have seen a great dramatic increase in the loans and lending to the special purpose vehicles through which corporate debt is bought from the market, from the firms that are handing it out. And then on the analysis of whether this is a warranted move and should the Fed have initiated this 750 billion US dollar kind of dry powder keg, um, I'm, I'm going to refer back to the Business Week because uh, a, a quote from Matt Daly here says that, uh, and I'm going to quote right now, they had to intervene here. This all just happened so quickly, says Matt Daly, head of corporate bonds at Conning. Right, you're not going to get any other answer for some, from someone who is invested in this, and this is their entire business. I looked at the guy, I looked up the guy on LinkedIn, and he's the head of credit research in, uh, you know, the Conning firm, which is some investment management firm. But essentially, of course, the, the owners of the bonds, which are falling in price and falling in value and losing people money, uh, obviously, they're going to warrant these actions, the, the Fed's actions, because what what else do you want them to say? You're going to get a very split table because what you're seeing here is asset price targeting, right? And this is a bit of a contra controversial, I don't know, it's a bit of a polarizing term um, that at least that's how it's been perceived recently. I know that before this corona crash was happening, I wasn't a big fan of this asset price targeting. I, I've now come to understand it a bit more, and I'm, I'm a bit more, I, I'd say, objective when it comes to it. Of course, I'm going to call myself objective. <clears throat> but I know that Matt Daly is not, and that is because he is invested in it. And when these bonds are falling in value, when they're dropping in price, the yields are increasing, these are no longer assets of a firm. These... I don't even know if they become liabilities, but they're worthless. I mean, it's the same with um, essentially companies or, you know, big firms back in like 2010, uh, 2012, 2013, holding, for example, Italian government debt or bonds or a Spanish or Greek government bonds, right? Sure, it appears as an asset on the company's balance sheet, but is it really? It's, def it's not. It's not in times of crisis at the very least, because in times of crisis, you get discipline to what is real money and assets when during a bull run or you know times of non-crisis that line is blurred right so right now it's a, serving as a bit of a reality check it should serve as a bit of discipline but the fed is not allowing it to in fact it's saying hey yeah keep on buying these corporate bonds because we're just going to keep financing it right so in, in fact jeff powell said in a meeting uh, and I'm going to quote again, back to the back to the uh, Business Week article. Federal Reserve Board Chair uh, Jerome Powell chalked this up as a win, and this in terms of the purchasing of uh, uh, corporate bonds. There's a tremendous amount of financing going on, and that's a good thing, he said at a press conference on April 29th. Okay, so is is there a tremendous amount of financing going on? 
Technically, yes, but is it because of the amount of money you're injecting into the system? In fact, over three trillion dollars worth of finance, or is it because investors are willing to uh, buy themselves? You know, when when they're looking at the fundamentals of the business, actually lend to these businesses. I believe it's the former, but uh, we're gonna see. Either way, financing is happening, right? The, the, the bottom line is that whether it's nominal, real, whatever's happening, businesses in the very moment are receiving cash, are receiving are receiving the ability to uh, essentially sell corporate bonds and refinance and do this, that, and the other, and keep the wheel of economics and turn, you know, turning, right? The credit lines haven't yet been severed. They have been under great tension for sure, but they haven't been severed yet. And I'm saying this um, because the the spreads have fallen. The, 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 the yields have fallen again. So th- this means that the risk, pre- risk premium, which the uh, lenders request, has again been diminished. And so what does that mean? Does that mean the crisis is over? No, it means that these investors or people who hold bonds or people who are you know now are more willing to hold bonds, they are willing to hold more bonds at a higher price because the Fed has stepped in and in fact they're going to keep doing because uh, keep doing this. That, that there is no risk. There is a risk risk premium. There is no calculable risk or calculable whatever risk premium if the Fed just eliminates risk. It enters the market and it just buys or it creates SPVs, it gives loans to these SPVs, and then they just do the buying. It's the same thing, right? It's, it's a, Instead of uh, the corporate bonds going straight on the balance sheet of the Fed in exchange for whatever cash, it goes on the balance sheet of an SPV, but with a leverage of 10 to 1. That there isn't much risk for the Treasury, and I guess there was nothing else that they could have done. Anyways, now I'd like to go back to the asset uh, asset price targeting. It's 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 a phrase that I mentioned earlier, and I said it was an unpleasant phrase, right? It kind of goes back to the question: Why is it imperative that the Fed intervenes in the corporate bond markets, right? Are they uh, kind of uh, rescuing the rich people who are losing money on corporate bonds? Is it because they don't want the market to implode? What is so important about these asset prices, which the Fed has warranted themselves to inflate back up? And, you know, back like two months ago, when I wasn't in full understanding of the kind of implications of this, I was annoyed because, oh, you know, why are they inflating those asset prices and not the asset prices of the stocks or bonds that I'm holding, for example, right? It's just just a random example of, you know, jealousy and a clear misunderstanding. But essentially to explain this mechanism and bring some more understanding and light onto why they might be doing this, whether it's warranted or not, I will start off talking about the nominal interest rate. And that is, you know, the cost of borrowing, the cost of borrowing money, the cost of money in, in, in essence. But uh, the, the, the central bank cannot bring nominal interest rates below zero. And so what happens when they get stuck at zero, uh, the, this is called the zero lower bound, as the Fed has now, you know, they, they've taken the interest rates down from, it was like one and a half percent to zero percent, the target rate is zero to a quarter percent. What happens when they want to go below that? Well, they can't. So how else are they going to influence the cost of money, the cost of finance? And the way that they can do it is impact, directly impact the price of assets, the price of corporate debt, the price of corporate bonds. Why is this? Because when the price of corporate bonds increases, um, this in turn makes the yields go down. And what is the yield? It is the cost of selling corporate debt. It is the cost of, uh, sorry, the cost of borrowing 
uh, money and selling, you know, your corporate bonds. And so it's a cost of it's an alternative cost of borrowing for firms. And so if yields keep falling down, they can in fact go negative because the price for which I pay for a bond today is going to be greater than what I get back in the future. The yield is negative. And so the cost of borrowing money for firms is negative. And so what that in theory does is it really not, not only enables cheap borrowing and financing for corporate firms, but also, it, it, yeah, exactly. Again, it makes it very cheap, and also it brings down the spread, which was first um, essentially exploded. The, the the kind of high yield spread, the investment, uh, you know, spread in general, the investment grade spread, because of the explosive fire sale that we saw at the end of February. And again, that then then the argument is that again, okay, I understand how this mechanism now works. It's directly impacting the cost of borrowing for firms by selling or through selling corporate debt at you know whatever price. But is this warranted? Again, should they be intervening? Why not let the firms die? Uh, you, you know, you might you might be a free marketeer and you might be wondering, okay, these firms obviously took on more risk, and um, also the the people who borrowed my, or you know bought these bonds, they also took on more risk. Sure, in in the time that they were holding these bonds, they also were awarded with a higher yield because th- that's correlated with risk. But now, since they were taken on the risk, they should pay the price for things when it, it goes bad, right? The same as when they benefit from the high yield is when things are good and people keep borrowing, people keep lending, then they should obviously carry the consequences when things go the way they have over the past few months. I will now refer back to the macro flows report uh, that, that I also mentioned earlier, because I want to talk about leveraged loans, and that is uh, the, specifically the corporate, uh, the, the leveraged loan blowout as we saw in March. So leveraged loans are essentially issued by junk-rated, over-leveraged companies which haven't got the sufficient cash flow to secure a higher credit rating and cheaper loans. And leveraged loans trading at a par value of eighty cents on the dollar. Uh, or less, they're considered to be distressed, and the fraction of which actually the distract, uh, uh, sorry, distract, the amount of distressed loans in the leveraged loans market in March in the U.S. actually jumped to above forty percent of all loans uh, in March. In the financial crisis of 08-09, the distressed leveraged loans actually reached eighty-one percent of the market. However, what is most important now is the size of the market overall. Since 08 and 09, monetary and credit conditions have been very loose. They've been very accommodative. Sorry. So what this does is it leaves credit to be incredibly cheap and very widely accessible. Back in 08 and 09, there was about 583 billion US dollars in leveraged loans. In essence, meaning that there's 472 billion in leveraged loans priced below the 80 um, cent on the dollar level. Today, there is about 1.2 trillion dollars in leveraged loans in total. Uh, Today, meaning at the end of March. And so at the end of March, the 38% of distressed loans equated to about 446 billion US dollars in loans priced below 80. So at the end of March, this meant that at the end of March, the size of the distressed leveraged loans was the same at the beginning of the corona crash as it was during the peak of the great financial crisis. Namely, uh, the 
airlines industry, the corporate loans in the airlines industry, 98% of them were distressed, 81% for the oil and gas, 75% for brick and mortar retailers, 69% for aerospace and defense, 68% for leisure, as well as hotels, motors, and casinos. These were the five most distressed industries in the US, and the Fed has just been expanding their purchases to hoover up all of their debt. And with, with these re- leveraged loans and leveraged companies, it begs the question, sh- should they receive the help? Should they receive the financing as they're getting now? Because now that we understand the system a bit more, to what extent should the Fed be freely financing or, you know, uh, you know straight, straight purchasing, straight up purchasing corporate bonds or at least financing the purchases of them? Because what's going to happen is that this this is like an alcohol for the market, right? This is like an alcohol, and it is the cause and solution of all of life's problems, as is cheap debt to the corporate debt market. Because as we know, cheap debt or debt has been cheap for a very long time, therefore enabling a lot of companies to carry the cheap debt. But now the solution to the problem of a lot of debt in the system is more cheap debt. And so to what extent can we keep the cycle going before it inevitably crashes? I mean, debt has to be paid off, you know, unless it's forgiven, unless there's default. But to what extent can our system carry on the debt? And to what extent can our corporate systems actually function on debt? Because this isn't just the idea that, oh, you know, there's some reliance, it really helps business. Of course it does, but it simply runs on debt. If there is no more debt, if there is no more refinancing, and if there isn't the Fed to unleash this liquidity, then it fails to function. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, essentially, to what extent can we warrant this Fed intervention without then expecting the same in just a few years down the line? And importantly, to what extent can we keep on warranting the Fed's intervention, the Fed's help in companies taking more cheap debt on and essentially increasing their risk, increasing their leverage and increasing all of the cheap debt that they hold, which had created this problem in the first place. Anyways, guys, that is it for today. I will be writing a more comprehensive, um, you know, involving more data, etc. and analysis uh, article on my blog surrounding this topic, surrounding debt in America, specifically corporate debt. So I wish you a very good day and a very good week and goodbye.